Hi, I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. You know, we talk a lot about the convergence of marketing, sales, and service. It's a huge initiative for our organization and uh, the cornerstone of how we partner. Um, and we're something we're seeing in the marketplace, of course. But, uh, you know, within that, the definition of marketing itself is also changing. And on the flip side, what consumers are expecting from brands, not just in what they make and how much they sell it for, but how they're showing up and really living uh, their purpose, both within the organization, within the culture and employees, and of course, with how they're interacting with consumers. Consumers today really care just as much about what a company stands for and believes in as much as what they do or what they sell. My guest today uh, has incredible expertise working with a number of different brands across multiple verticals. And he's also an author, um, including his latest book, The Conscious Marketer. And we're going to talk about that today and what that means um, and why it's really important for brands to be thinking through this lens. Jim Joseph, welcome to On Brand. Thank you. Awesome to be here, Sarah. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. I, I came across your latest book and I felt like kindred spirits immediately um, just from the title alone. And I said, oh my gosh, I think this is what I think it's about, which is so near and dear to my heart. You know, the show is really driven around talking about connections, the connections that we desire as consumers with the companies we engage with. But that other layer is, uh, uh, you know, companies putting purpose at the forefront. And you you kind of kind of all in here. So we're going to talk about this. And for those who've uh, watched the show before, and I've had guests on who are, are authors, once again, the post-it notes have returned as I'm holding it up now because I love this book so much. There's so much in there. Before we get to that, let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about your really impressive and incredible background. I'll be your publicist here. Oh, <laughs> gosh, thank you. You know, I'm I'm a lover of brands and a lover mm -hmm. of marketing. I was one of those kids at a very early age, just knew I wanted to go into marketing. I don't even know if I knew what it was, but I was always fascinated by the packaging and the print ads and the television commercials. So um, when I actually started my career at Johnson & Johnson, I, I knew I was uh, right where I, I belonged. And I've had unbelievable journey of, of working in lots of different kinds of agencies across lots of different kinds of clients. And now I'm focused on healthcare. I'm at McCann Health. I'm the president of North America from McCann Health. Uh, at a time in our collective society where healthcare has never been more important, mm -hmm. uh, we've never had higher consciousness, I'll use that word, of science before and appreciation for science. So it's a, a great, great space to be in. And I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to still be continuing my career. It certainly is. A, it's funny. I just um, recently interviewed Karen Gillis, who's the director of U.S. customer service for Abbott. Uh, so definitely in the healthcare space. And we had a really great conversation about uh, digital innovation and even within those regulated industries, you know, where you have different guardrails. So I love that. I mean, you have, you know, you're president North America for McCann Health. You were also author, blogger, professor, dad. We're going to talk about all of that. Um so you've been working with brands for a long time. Um, talk to me about your first couple of books that you did and what, how you got started on Conscious Marketer, which I know you were working on before the pandemic. 
I know I'm I'm that person who launches a book in the middle of a pandemic. But right. it, it, it actually the right one to launch. <laughs> you it, know? Was, it was actually written beforehand and it turned out mm-hmm. to be really uh, really timely. Yeah. Because it's all about understanding what's going on in the world and changing your brand behavior as a result of it. So it it was actually very timely. Mm-hmm. So yes, my first book came out in 2010. It was called The Experience Effect. And that book was all about how a brand is more than just the products it sells, uh, more than just the price it sells it for, but actually a brand is an experience. And if you think about your brand as a total experience, then you're going to build much greater loyalty uh, and actually build a much stronger business as as a result. Um, If you think that every single time you interact with your customer or your consumer, then it's a positive experience. And it's interesting because we're talking about that even more now than we did back in 2010. Uh, a lot of the foundational work that we do with our clients is all about the total experience, which to your point is pretty much digital. Uh, in fact, in the book, in my new book, I talk about how we should probably strike the word digital out of our vocabulary because it's a bit outdated. Uh, but I, I'm a big believer that brands are an experience and, and the fun part about our craft is building that experience. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's interesting. You say 2010. So, oh my gosh, that was 11 years ago. Look, I did math. That's great. Um, But that's crazy to think about that, that you were actually talking about something that I don't think people were really embracing back at that time. And that is, again, that convergence of marketing with the customer, not just talking to them, um, but understanding kind of what their their needs are and their wants are. Now, of course, it's what we're advising is this holistic approach, breaking down the silos of what used to be, I guess, more departments, right? This is customer service, right. this is sales, this is marketing. You were ahead of the game uh, with your with your first couple of books there too. And you were ahead of the game with a conscious marketer as well. What inspired your latest book? Well, you know, when I started out in marketing, I, I was at Johnson & Johnson, classic packaged goods marketing. I worked on baby products. It was, it was such a great first assignment. But back then, we would never, ever, ever touch a, a social issue, politics, a sociopolitical issue. Uh, we just never went there because we were always worried that we would somehow alienate half of our customer base. So we just stayed away from it. And probably that was the right thing to do at the time. But now, as our world has evolved, mm-hmm. we see from, from customers, there's data that shows that actually customers expect brands to be contributing to society. And in fact, they, they think that brands are more equipped to solve some of these larger social issues than governments are. So it, it's really become important that brands think about how they can contribute back to society and back to communities. And actually their employees also want to know, they wanna be part of an organization that contributes back to society. So what was once kind of taboo that then through the years started to become maybe leading edge, you saw you saw the Starbucks of the world sort of take on issues before anybody else did. Uh, now I, I believe is a requirement. It's not necessarily a requirement that you respond to every single one, but you respond to the ones and you contribute back on the ones that are the most important to your customers and your employees. Yeah, and I think you're right. I it got me thinking too, you know, I, sort of the previous version of that seems to be like, oh, as an organization, we volunteer with and we provide community time for and blah 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 blah, which is all still very important despite my blah 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 blah, but it's important. This is different though. This is about taking a stance, about having a point of view on something that is a social or often very political issue, right? 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. It, to your point, back in the day, we would write a check to charity. Right. We would give back to the, you know, to the this and that society. Uh, now it's much more active, much more active. Uh, customers and employees, and I keep saying that because it's really the two constituents that are the most important. Right. They they expect to see action, and uh, it's a form of targeting actually because by by taking action on on a social issue on something that's important to your to your constituents, you are in fact building a greater bond with them. So you're in fact targeting them and you're bringing them into your into your organization, making them a part of it. So it is becoming a bit of a requirement because if you don't at least become aware, comment, contribute, then your customer base is going to go somewhere else where 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 they can find the values that they're looking for. Or they'll think that you're trying to cover something up or you're not being transparent. So um, it, it is a requirement. You don't necessarily have to respond to every one of them, like I said, but the ones mm-hmm. that are important to, to your constituents, you need to be engaged with. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back to that because that got me thinking about something else. But I, you know, the very first chapter of this book is changes, changes constant, right? And certainly, right. Um, you know, again, we've talked about the fact that you were already writing this and that it was scheduled to come out, you know, May of last year, right? And um, so about a year ago. And uh, I think 2020 really kind of threw an accelerant on what we knew to be changed um, on a number of fronts. And it wasn't just the pandemic. Um, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about that, about this last year and the changes that we saw and maybe how this has put even more of a spotlight on the need for more conscious marketing? Mm, absolutely. I, I think when you think about it from a business perspective or, or how we live our lives and how we go about um, working, the, the pandemic took things that we had been kind of talking about for a few years prior to the pandemic, kind of bubbling, kind of at the surface, and then all of a sudden the pandemic threw it you know, into um, reality. Things like you know, working from home, uh, video conferencing, uh, telemedicine and healthcare, like actually getting on on a video call with your doctor rather than going to the doctor's office, using the pharmacy as more of a point of care as opposed to just a place to pick up your your prescription drugs, um, all of the you know sharing of news and sharing of experiences has accelerated. Everything has become digital. You know, on, online shopping has pretty much you know become the norm for almost everybody now, not just the lead indicators. So we've seen the pandemic really push those things that were at the surface um, forward. And also, despite the fact that we've been planted at home, it's also I think accelerated the rate of change. And I think it's gotten folks used to change. Change is hard for many people, and and many people resist it. And I think what the pandemic has taught us is that if you don't change and you don't adapt, then you're you're going to go backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's really well put. You know, it also um, kind of got me thinking too. You know, you mentioned um, before about um, speaking up or saying something in transparency. So there's a lot that happened. There's the pandemic. Um, we certainly had a lot of social social justice movements um, that really came into even more in the spotlight over the last year in the U.S. We had a massive election. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on and and globally that's happening, too. When you think about brands, how how should a brand decide whether or not they should speak up and weigh in on these things that are happening in our world? Oh, that that is a probably the most frequently asked question that we get from clients. Mm -hmm. You know, should I speak up? When do I speak up? How do I speak up? 
And, and also, how do I speak up and not have it look like I'm just being opportunistic and right. just trying to sell products in, in the middle of a, of a, of a moment? And uh, the answer, while incredibly complicated, is actually very simple. What does your customer want you to do? Mm-hmm. What do your employees want you to do? Let your customer be your guide. If there is an issue that is intrinsically important to them, that's relevant to your business, then you have to, at a minimum, be very much aware of that and alter your behavior as a result. But I would say, you know, speak up about it, um, contribute back, uh, add value to their lives by doing something about it, um, make it easier for them um, to to contribute if they want to contribute. I, I think you, you have to do that if it's important to them. And if it's relevant for you, if it's completely irrelevant to your business, then then no, leave it alone. But if it's relevant and it's important to them, then I, I do think you have to speak up and you have to contribute because actually just speaking up isn't enough anymore either. They want, they want to see, customers want to see how you're adding value. How are you making it better? How are you solving the situation? You're so right. I mean, because otherwise it's just words, right? If there's not the execution or the action behind it. Right. Um, I love what you said too about, think about it from the perspective of your customer. I mean, that's definitely, um, gosh, all my conversations is I, I want to show you the brand through the lens of the customer, not just the brand through the lens of the brand. I mean, the right. two should really be more married. And sometimes it's those customer insights that can help get you there. Um, that's a great segue because so some of my posties in the book here, you talk mm-hmm. about um, great marketing always starts with the consumer. And you also say that brands need empathy to truly understand their customer. Can you talk to me about how those two things go hand in hand and how can brands best understand who that customer is and what their needs and wants and expectations are? Sure. Like we were just saying, let your customer be your guide, mm-hmm. uh, not only on on social issues or so, socio-political issues, but all just in terms of how you market to them and what you offer them and how you enhance your offering, how you make it better. Let your customer be your guide. But the only way you can do that is if you really understand how they live their lives and really understand their struggles and their pain points and their, their areas of tension and how you can solve them. And that comes from empathy. You know, being able to classic saying, walk in their shoes. What's it like to live their life? Uh, be empathetic to what they're going through. Um, if, if they're concerned about a social issue, well, why are they concerned about it? And how can you make it better? How can you help them deal with it and and um, make their lives better? Uh, that comes from 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 empathy. And I actually think that as marketers, that's our number one skill set. I used to say that it was creativity. That like our number one skill set is is creativity, but honestly, creativity is probably a bit of table stakes. Uh, now I think our number one skill set is empathy, understanding understanding what people are going through. Same with our employees. What are our employees going through? And the pandemic has certainly taught us that we've had a rough year in terms of keeping people uh, safe, um, mental well being, physical well being. Um, you know what what can we do to make sure that we know what they're going through and make it better? Empathy, number one, number one skill set. Uh, boy, that's music to my ears. As somebody who identifies as an empath and always has my whole life, you know, and being in marketing, I'm sure you can appreciate this too. Because I also know that you and I um, were both involved in marketing and then the digital kind of came to the forefront. You're right. We, pr- we should probably strike that word because it's just sort of <laughs> baked in, right? Or it should be, or you're in a lot of trouble. But back to empathy. 
Um, you know, I know like earlier, earlier on in my career, not where I am right now, but that was actually said to be almost a detriment to leadership that you, you know, it had no place at the table for when it came to sort of leadership or vision. And that has certainly changed. And I love hearing that from your point of view too, and that that's your experience with um, some of the brands that you work with. It's got me thinking about, um, uh, brands in terms of their missions, uh, mission statement and their values. Do you think, uh, how do you think values, understanding and defining your values as an organization plays into um, that scope of being a more conscious marketer as well? Sure. Well, it's funny because values, I think back in the day, we used to think of values as you know, that poster that was hung up in the in the employee, you know, break room. Yeah. And uh, you know, plaques on the wall or a little <laughs> a little trophy that you had on your desk. Those were your values. And and they were top down. You know, like the CEO wrote the values or the board wrote the values. And those were the values that you you um, tried to embody when you did your work. I think now values are much, much deeper than that. I think values actually come from the ground up uh, and the top down. I think they have to come both ways and they have to meet in the middle. And, and it's also not just about your work life, it's about your total life and, and what kind of a person are you and what kind of an organization do you want to work with and what kind of a boss do you want to have and what kind of a leader do you want to have run the organization that you, you work at? It's all intertwined now. And, and it's not, it doesn't even need to be written down anymore. It, it, it's about how you behave and it's about your day-to-day actions. And when you go to make a decision, those values guiding how you make it make a decision, and it, you know it's interesting. You were just saying, you know, um, empathy was never on the table years ago. It, it got me thinking. You're you're so right because when they talked about leaders, they talked about you know the ability to make a tough decision and to handle a complicated situation and to do what it took, no matter how hard it might be. That's we don't talk about leadership that way anymore. Um, and and I I don't consider myself that kind of a leader. Now we talk about leaders that are that are serving their people and doing doing what is best for them so that they can live productive lives that are both at work and and at home. That's what a leader is now. It is, you know, whether you call it empathy or not, that that is um, drastically changed in terms of how we think about it. Oh, yeah, you're so right. And I love what you said, too, about kind of the the whole person. Right. We this is a. I talk about this a lot. I love this. There's these themes that keep coming up in these conversations that I'm so privileged to have and so grateful to have, like with people like you. And there are these themes. And one of them is that we're a whole person. And so our values that you're right aren't just words um, on a wall or a website. It's it's how we take action to demonstrate those values. I mean, I can list, if I think about my personal values, I can list them off for you for sure. You know, it's um, passion and connection and resilience and vulnerability. And within all of that, making an impact. Now, I can tell you those words, but I also feel very strong that how I show up at the workplace within my personal relationships across the board, those are the words I hope that people would use to describe me because of the actions I do. And if you extrapolate that into an organization, I think that that's what we're looking for too, right? Is what are you doing with your employees that then cascades to your consumer to really reflect who you are as an organization. This feels very tied into everything that you're writing about. Is that a fair assessment there? Yes, yes. And you know, you just made me think of something. 
I've heard this um, said about brands and it just occurred to me, I think this is also about people and, and their values. Uh, your values are what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm. Those are your values yeah. because unsolicited, it's how they feel about you, how you make them feel, how you add value to the, those are your values. Um, they say the same about brands. You know, a, a brand is what your customer says about you when you're not in the room, how they describe you. It's also positioning. It's all those buzzwords, but, yeah. uh, but it really is values because it's how, how you live your life is how people remember you. That's a great, um, that got me thinking now about what, okay, what your customer says about you when you're not in the room, because I, I, we also talk a lot about sort of listening and social listening, um, listening online, listening to learn, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you think that consumers consider social to be in or out of the room? Do you think that they're expecting to be, heard? I mean, is it a little bit of both? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Never thought about it that way. I think it's a little bit of both. I think mm -hmm. that they, they, um, they think that it's in the, that you're not in the room because it's their platform, and it's to their network, and and it's and there's a little bit of um, anonymity. Anonymity, it's a yeah. tough word. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're free to sort of speak up because there there's a little bit of a distance there, but they also know that you are in the room because they, they want you to hear it and they write product reviews and they want you to change your behavior. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. And I should probably caveat too. Of course, I'm not talking about like uh, anything that's like invasive listening or anything. I'm just talking about things that are publicly out there. Um, observational. Yeah. Observational. Yeah. Observational. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, but I think there's a lot that can be learned and I don't know, sometimes too, I'll say something, you know, and I, I sort of hope a brand is listening to me. And I certainly I can talk more formally in social. I might tag a brand because I work in the space, but what right. we see too is consumers aren't always speaking directly to a brand. It doesn't mean they, they don't expect or wouldn't welcome an engagement from, from the organization as well. Um, okay. So we've talked a lot about sort of the things that are happening now that weren't happening, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. When you think about marketing, is there anything that you would just completely retire that you would recommend people just stop doing altogether and just put away or just put on the shelf and never pull back out again? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. You know, I think it's such an evolving craft mm -hmm. that I don't know that anything ever permanently goes away or should go away nor do I think that anything permanently stays. You know, for years, people have been talking about the death of advertising and advertising is, is, has died. Mm -hmm. um, and it's died along with how people people's viewing habits have changed at home. I, I actually don't think that's true. I, I don't think advertising is what it used to be, nor do I think it should be what it used to be. But I still think that there's a, a role for, for advertising. Uh, but I think advertising has changed. And if I were to pick one thing that should be put away, it is the um, talking at customers, just like pushing your product at, and selling, 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 and, and not having a dialogue and not talking about the benefits to the, to the person, but just talking at them. That should go away. Uh, but that is in the form of, you know, packaging, advertising, you know, early websites were, were kind of like that. So I, I think that that should go away, but I don't know that any form should necessarily go away, but I, I think it should just continually, continually evolve. I literally was thinking this phrase, don't talk at me. And you said it. 
<laughs> I'm like, wow, we are like, that was psychic. I couldn't agree with you more. I want you to talk with me and ask and listen as much as you're speaking too. So I agree. I think that that's the shift. I like what you said about advertising though, too. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of Mad Men, of course, not just for John Hamm and and Christina, <laughs> by the way. Who, oh my gosh, just dream girl there. Um, but I love the show. I love the story that it told. And I was, you know, there's a, a very famous episode with with Kodak with the slide projector. And, and, you know, Don Draper was a storyteller. He wasn't always necessarily telling the true consumer story. He was telling the story that would sell the pitch to the brand and the agency at the time. Um, I do think advertising, advertising, I'm making air quotes here is, is evolving. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about too, is it always starts, you know, with the consumer when, you know, you've worked with a lot of different brands and certainly, um, not putting you on the, on the uh, spotlight to talk about a current partner or anything like that from just from a observational point of view, or even from a personal consumer, um, experience that you had, who's getting it right in terms of really showing up and in a very conscious way? Mm. Well, what's fascinating in the last year is I think the list of brands that are getting it right is evolving mm. because the pandemic did change how we interact with, with customers. And it did raise a consciousness that, that's necessary uh, to continue to try to sell product when people are in lockdown, worried about their incomes, worried about their family, you know, completely, completely inappropriate and very unconscious. So I, I think the brands that are getting it right are the brands that adapted really quickly to that. I, I think of the very early movers um, in the pandemic, like Ford, for example, who immediately shut down their production of cars so that they could make ventilators but then only had employees who were willing and wanted to work, who wanted to come in. They were the only ones who, who were asked to work. Uh, and they completely you know, shifted their whole business model to respond to the crisis. Uh, Louis Vuitton started making hand sanitizer. They were one of the first ones, completely changed their business model to, to give back, stopped selling their stuff and put the needs of the, um, of the community first. Mm -hmm. Those are brands that are getting it right. And continue to get it right. I, I just happened to um, see last week. In fact, I blogged about it. H and M, the clothing retailer, they're giving free suits rentals. They're they're allowing um, students who are going on their first job interview to come and get a suit for that interview because it's so important to have a, a good first impression. Mm -hmm. Like that is getting it right, and probably building incredible loyalty because when those people then get jobs and need clothes for work, where are they going to go? They're going to go to H and M. So it makes sense, but it's getting it right, putting the needs of your customers before your own and, and not selling all the time. Yeah, those are great examples too. Um, you know, got me thinking and it, the needs of the customer or the needs of the community. You know, my very first episode of On Brand was with Laura Smith, who's um, head of uh, marketing and CX at Hertz. And we talked about how, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, especially in the New York area, you'll appreciate this, you know, you couldn't just hop on the subway and you had all these essential workers trying to get to the different hospitals. So Hertz basically took a fleet of 2000 cars and gave them to these essential medical workers to get to and from work in a very safe way. Because you couldn't really, you know, use public transportation at the onset. But I also think that this is something that's achievable. And I, I want to note this because we're, we can talk about these established flagship brands, 
but it also applies to emerging brands. And I, I can even think about a very localized example down the street from me. There's a shine distillery um, and a lot of distilleries paused production. And to your point, started making things like hand sanitizer and whatnot, which that they then outfitted to tons of other businesses and hospitals um, within the region. They weren't the only one to do that, but they're a very local example that kind of comes to mind too. So I think Absolutely. you're right. I think, yeah, there's just a lot that kind of came to the forefront, but it is achievable. You know, you don't have to have a huge budget, right? To be a right. conscious marketer. I mean, what do you need? I mean, we've talked about, you know, kind of understanding what does your customer expect? Uh, what about sort of internal buy-in and executive sponsorship? What does that look like when you're trying to make these changes within your organization? Oh, it's 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 true. You definitely need internal buy-in with, without a doubt. And you have to have alignment on what exactly... Um, are the ways that you want to give back and what are the issues that you want to have a point of view on. And, and those, those issues have to have alignment not only with your senior stakeholders and your employees, but then also your customers. So it takes a bit of work. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. I wouldn't say it takes tons and tons of resources. It doesn't necessarily even take a tons and tons of budget, but it takes effort. It has to be very thought through, very conscious um, it's a process that you have to go through to make sure that what you're doing is on point, it's relevant, it's impactful. Um, there's going to be often backlash against what you do. So you have to think right. through that ahead of time. And is that backlash, um, is it sustainable? Can you do something about it? Can you handle it? Uh, is it warranted? Uh, those. So it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. But that doesn't mean it's only for the <clears throat> only for the large organizations or the global brands. I mean, that's that's definitely not the case. I, I had had a, one of my favorite local examples was um, in the very beginning of the of the lockdown. Actually, for months, you know, none of these kids were having birthday parties anymore. They weren't mm -hmm. going to school. They weren't having birthday parties. They were spending birthdays alone. So this local bakery basically was delivering birthday cakes to kids for free. Um, who otherwise wouldn't really be able to celebrate a birthday. Mm. That's a small, wonderful little thing that probably didn't take that much um, resources to do, but it took a little bit of empathy, a little bit of you know, buy-in internally and alignment. Yeah, and I think it's those, um, those you know, decisions too, when they come from a place of authenticity and truth and they're organic and you're being transparent about it, you know, that do pay back in dividends, like even that small um, local distillery, that organization that I gave the example of, you know, we've gone on and off of different sort of quarantine rules here of dining, right? They're a restaurant, indoor, outdoor, you know, all the things. And for a while they pivoted and they got so clever. They're on a corner. They actually created what they, they called it a drag through. And they had this amazing whole drag performance going on while you would drive through to pick up your food because that was the only way to get it. And the line was around the block for weeks because everybody was just so excited to show up and show that support back to them when they needed the community. But who did they, they didn't think of themselves first when they were making, right. you know, that hand sanitizer right. too. So it's very, I think that there are sort of, when we think about spreadsheets and profit and loss, sometimes, you know, what the value there isn't always a line item that's easy to plug into an Excel spreadsheet. You know, sometimes it comes back. There's other ways to make money. Um, so we talked a little bit about who's getting it right. You know, there are other brands out there too who have a very large audience. Um, you mentioned Starbucks. Um, 
I think of Nike as well. I used to work with them back in the day. They were a client at a previous um, job and, you know, they've been around for a long time, but they've, um, you know, made a point to take a stance on lots of things well before the pandemic. Uh, you also mentioned you have to be prepared for the backlash. Um, any advice on that front as, as, as companies are deciding to lean in on a particular issue or social um, social issue? Well, I, I think the the advice there is to plan as much for the backlash as you do for the actual program itself. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing something meaningful that will have impact, that's tied to a social issue, it's probably going to have backlash. And, and a certain amount of that is okay and sustainable and may, maybe even helps to raise awareness. So maybe that's it's, it's okay. But you have to plan for it. And, and it should not catch you by surprise. You should understand exactly where you think it's going to come from and what the impact of it will be. Um, perhaps even plan some efforts around it to, you know, to encourage the other point of view and to and to highlight it and acknowledge it and and um, and call it out as as you know differing opinions. Um, but I think you have to plan just as much for that as you do for the actual program it, itself. And if you're caught off guard, then you didn't do and you didn't know enough. I agree. I mean, some of these things you can kind of, you know, predict, okay, these are, you know, the choose your own adventures of things that could go a little, you know, haywire and then map that out ahead of time. Don't wait for it to happen. Have that sort of action plan ahead of time, but, um, you know, be willing to kind of stick to it. Um, Okay. So what about these companies who did sort of speak up during various events um, and then fade away? What's what's the repercussion there? Um, what do you think the short and long term impact of sort of, you know, rushing to a conversation without thinking it through might be for an organization? Well, I think some of the very early movers did that. And, and probably that was a just a, a natural thing to happen. We didn't have any learning. <laughs> we now have a lot of collective learning as an industry on on how people uh, feel about these things and how how they might react and and what some of the backlash could be. So there's a lot of learning, but I think we have to be we have to be fair to the first movers uh, on an issue. Uh, and there's there's always new issues, and those first movers might stumble and might make a mistake and might not be able to think it all the way through. And I think we should we should cut them some slack. Uh, and I think as as a society, we've seen that where customers forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, forgive and forget, uh, particularly if that company has had a long history of, of these things, like a Nike, they've made mistakes, they've stumbled. And for the most part, consumers have kind of, you know, let it go and, and forgiven them. But you do have to have commitment. I mean, if you're going to come out strong and then fade away, the the impact is probably going to be brand loyalty because people are going to see it as something that you did in the moment to take advantage of the moment rather than something you were truly behind and truly. Um, truly passionate about uh, because your customers are passionate about it. So I think that, you know, the, the negative effect of that's going to be loyalty because uh, consumers will move on to the brands, like we we're saying, that do hold those values that are similar to theirs. I think you're spot on. It's so funny. There's just such a mirror when you think about it now with companies um, and consumers it is a relationship. And if you sort of took that scenario and put it into like a personal dating world, you know, and if you were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And you were in a relationship with somebody and then they just sort of never did. You might break up with them. Right. So that's the personal version of brand loyalty, I guess, too. Um, no, it's so true. We, yeah. we talk about how if you if you went to a party and you met somebody new and all they did was talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. You, you'd probably excuse yourself and go get a drink and not come back. 
Absolutely. Versus somebody who's engaging and asking you questions and telling, revealing things about them. You're going to go get a drink and probably bring them a drink. Exactly. Oh gosh, that's so funny. I use that analogy a lot. I'm like, picture yourself at a cocktail party and you don't really know many people or you know a few and you come into a little circle of conversation. And if you stood there and just said, do you know about me? Let me tell you more about me. And oh, another (laughs) thing about me, and I'm fabulous. Like, uh, I don't know that, I mean, unless you're JLo, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I probably would listen to her talk, but uh, you're right. It's got to be a give and take and as much listening. There's so much that mirrors. And maybe that's why now, too, we're talking about showing up holistically, not just who right. we are in the you know workplace and who we are outside of the workplace, too. Um, right. Jim, I love all of your expertise and insights. Um, just to kind of wrap things up and pull everything together here, what's next for you and you know, we're almost halfway through this year. Um, are you working on another book? What's What are you excited about as we kind of uh, progress through this new year? And not necessarily out of the woods yet, but definitely a different place than we were a year ago. Yeah, not out of the woods. Uh, and and like we were saying earlier, we're be prepared for change because change mm-hmm. is going to keep coming at us. And some of it we know and can predict and some of it we have no idea. I'm actually really excited about the new hybrid working model. Because I think we've, in many industries, not every industry, but in many industries, in our industry, we have proven that we can have people working remotely from home. And in fact, we've seen increases in productivity, not decreases. And we've seen increases in the quality of work, not decreases. And prior to the pandemic, we probably would have thought that a fully remote at home workforce would be less productive and the work would suffer. We probably thought that. And we've proven otherwise. But we've given up other things um, to get there, you know, mental well-being, exhaustion, burnout, um, you know, complete, complete um, disappearance of any kind of walls between work and, and, and family. So I'm really excited to get to a hybrid model where you might still work from home when it's convenient and you might go to the office when it makes sense to collaborate and to be with people, but you're going to do that based on what works for you and what works for your team and works for your organization. And I'm really fascinated to see what that actually looks like. We're working on it now because it has tremendous implications for team building, structure of teams, what the office actually even looks like, what the facilities are, technology. I think it's gonna be really fascinating. And I think we're gonna land in a place of of optimization that we didn't, we certainly have not had in the last 12 months, but we didn't have before the pandemic either. I think we're going to get to a place of optimi- optimization. Yeah, I think you're right. I love that too. I'm excited for that. I kind of had that hybrid model before this all started. I was working remotely, but I traveled a lot for work. And then, of course, that came to a halt. Uh, I liked that combo, though, whether I was on site at one of our locations or meeting with a, a partner. And I, I see that coming back. I think we've proven that that can be successful. And we've got lots of really cool, interesting tools to help foster connectivity um, and connection. Um, I had a great conversation with uh, Julie Legal, the CMO at Slack about this. You know, they're they're actually, they're not only adopting it within the organization, they're one of the tools people are using right. to reinvent what connection looks like. So I think you're right. Yeah. Um, well, I love your books and I really love this one. It's um, one of my favorite reads in as long Thank as I can you. remember. I think you are so ahead of the times. And I, I really hope that other brands uh, lean in to what you've outlined here in this philosophy, because I think that that's really what's going to give meaning and staying power, you know, and both are 
are really important. So Jim, oh, thank, thank you. you so much for your time and for your, for your fabulous insights as well. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.